Yeah. Listen. We gon' do it like this. Yusuf Chadiri, tune in now for all your money. Go out and get it, cause nothing is free. Running in oil and gas company. Houston, Texas, I love my city. Young, successful, and wealthy. Whoa. Hustling, grinding, repeat. Entrepreneur, that's who I be. Let's go. Taking care of business. Hello, everybody. Uh, another episode of Oil Money with uh, your host, yours truly, Yusuf Chadiri. I have a very special treat today, and uh, I got a CEO here. I got a CEO <laughs> of uh, the CEO of Energy Night, Chris Atherton. Um, thank hey, you for coming. Thanks on. for having me, man. Yeah, of course, man. This is uh, um, if anybody, if anybody in the energy space, anybody ever, right? If you're looking for a deal, if you're honestly, if you just know anything about energy, they know Energy Net, right? Like Energy Net has become such a household name. That's something if you think about, even like here, like like internally, right? Whenever we're going through a deal process, whenever we we think about deals, the first place is EnergyNet. It's always EnergyNet, right? Like that's awesome. I would love to hear that. How did how did you how how did that come about? I, I'm curious, right? Like EnergyNet's been around for a minute. Uh, how did it kind of get there? If you could put the the mic a little bit closer to yeah, sure thing. Yeah. How did how did you get there? How how did you go from uh you're the number one person. Like when everybody thinks of deals, they think of energy. Now, how does that like, I, I know that's a really, really broad question, but how does it start? Like, no, I mean, I've, I've, I've been with uh, the company really my, almost my entire career. Uh, I've been with, uh, so in Houston and then with energy net since 2002. Uh, and really at the time we were kind of uh, we, we were considered a, a fad, a novelty. I mean, uh, back then when I started in 2002, uh, you know, selling your oil and gas assets through an online platform online, it seemed like a novelty, I mean, I would go in to, to pitch guys like like your dad or your dad's partners and things sure, like that. And yeah. Like I don't know about that. You know, I'm going to do it the, the my, my way or the, the you know the, the the traditional ways of you know you know uh, working with people. And it really it was just over time, you know, calling on the biggest companies in Houston and Dallas and Denver and Oklahoma City and you know asking for business. And that, that's how I my, I have a finance background, finance and marketing background. But uh, really, I mean, my, you know, how I came up in the industry and, and what I've seen in the industry, I mean, it was all, I mean, it was a lot of, a lot of hustle and a lot of grinding, a lot of, a lot of business development, you know, trying to pitch deals, trying to win business, uh, you know, uh, deals for me, you know, uh, doing deals is definitely in my blood. And I, I know you as well feel the same way, uh, but that's the fun part of it. The negotiation, the hunt, you know, getting it closed, runner up bidders. If it's a real deal, I mean, if it's a good deal, like my, my kind of rule is that seems to fall apart on you once or twice, you know, before you can actually get it closed. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, there's something to be like, for me, like I've, I've been a part of all parts of the oil and gas industry. Like, I mean, uh, most of it can be a little bit cumbersome. Most of it can be boring. Uh, some of it can be super exciting when you're drilling a well and you're, you know, right. you're kind of prospecting, but the funnest part, if you ask me is the deal making process, right? When you can go evaluate something, you can say, Hey, I got this at, you know, the PDP value at a PV 10 on this deal is $10 million, but you know what? I'm going to pay you $7 million cash and we'll do a quick close. And then you got go through the process of, you know, out of 10 people, five of them will say, man, kick rocks. We, right. You know, we, that's the terrible valuation. And, you know, we're not going to take a cut like that. But some people, especially in this environment, they're going to be like, man, we're fatigued. Yeah. Uh, money it's on the nice. table. Yeah. It's money on the table. Let's try to get a deal then. And like you said, it's so funny that you mentioned that if a deal breaks apart a few times, that's how you know a deal is actually <laughs> going to get done. And uh, it was actually one of our older engineers who used to work here. I remember the first NAPE I ever went to, right? I was just green. I mean, had the lanyard all over me. I mean, suit and tie, kind of running around, meeting everybody. And 
everybody was talking about these deals that they were doing or not doing. And I don't know, like it felt like uh, there was a lot of facade there. And I remember he told me he kind of sat down. Uh, you know, they have those little like coffee stations. Yeah, yeah. He sat down, he started, you know, you know, just, uh, you know, shooting the breeze with one of his old buddies. And they were talking about these wells that were complete failures. And this guy used to work for us. And right. I'm just like, uh, dude, I know you're talking about this well that failed, but what about this well that we just sidetracked in Louisiana and we just hit pay? Like, why don't you talk about that? And he's like, Yusuf, that's not what real oil men do. We talk about all the licks and wounds that, uh, that kind of came. So, I mean, it's a part of that, that you kind of think about like it, it, there's, uh, you know, a true oil man. And my dad will tell you the same thing, right? Like if you ask him about like all of our success stories, he really doesn't care. Right. He, he will be like, I want to talk about that. Well, that, was a dry hole. I, right. How did we, how did we let that happen? Right. I want to talk about that. Well, that we recompleted and, uh, into the uh, completely wrong zone. What, how did, how did that happen? And I always wonder, I'm like, you know, we've, I would like to think we've been pretty successful over the years. Right. Why not talk about some of the successes? And he's like, you don't learn from the successes. You learn <laughs> from the failures, right? You right. learn from those kind of things. And it's really, really interesting to hear. Like, you know, you kind of start from a perspective of in the early 2000s when the Internet isn't obviously what the Internet is now. Right. And people are like, why the hell would I want to trust you when in my mind, when I think of that time frame? Right. I'm thinking of the clearinghouse. Yeah, I, yeah of course. Yeah. I, like, you know, yeah, I know that my, was how it was done. So how did you convince people like, you know, like staunch businessman, businessmen like my father? How would you convince him to be like, hey, listen, energy or you know what? I, I would love to hear if you got a funny story about about senior. If there was he was just like, no, no. Yeah, I've met met him many a times and uh, worked on deals with him. Uh, but I mean, it was, uh, you know, the idea was uh, was new at the time. Acquisitions and investments in the oil and gas space. I mean, it has the business development aspect the meeting and networking of people. We meet all kinds of influential people. Uh negotiating the deal making is great uh, for our company for energy net is what what i think is really cool is just that we have a reason to call on just about any individual or company in the entire oil and gas industry it can be exxon Mobil, and we can walk into their office and we can have a, a, a story to tell uh, a value proposition it can be bp it can be total it can be equinor but it can also be an individual landowner in west texas it can be you know someone that owns minerals in south louisiana uh, so, you know, when, when I was you know, pitching EnergyNet early on, you know, it was it, it, what we believe firmly and I believe firmly is just competitive processes consistently work. And, you know, it's interesting from the from the deal side and, 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 and doing I mean, I've done thousands and thousands and thousands of deals in my career with EnergyNet. But uh, it's just interesting, uh, the different the different players. Right? So you, you were talking about the $10 million deal that you're offering $7 million for. So it's kind of like if you're a buyer, you're, you're trying to get the best deal possible. It's kind of two ends of the spectrum. If you're yeah. a seller, you're trying to get the most money possible. If you're, try, if you're a buyer, you're trying to get unsolicited deals done. You're trying to call somebody, you know, hey, this is offer on the table. My offer is good for, you know, uh, you know th these are all the parameters. But if you're a seller, you're wanting everybody, their grandmother to, to compete on your deal and pay the most for it. Right. I did, uh, you're, sp speaking of NAEP, uh, we had an interesting deal. Uh, 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 we've always been a big part of NAEP and tried to be. Uh, and, it, you know, it, unfortunate that it was it was canceled this year because of COVID. Yeah. Will in 2021. But uh, we had a, one of our longtime buyers and he was, you know, he was uh, our EBCO auction buyer. And he was an oil and gas asset clearinghouse buyer. He's been around for been around the block. But I love seeing other people negotiate in person. And you're probably uh, very skilled at this as well. But it was a deal that we, we had and we were marketing. It was like a it was like, you know, I think the seller wanted eight million dollars for it. And the, uh, the, the high bid from the process was six million. And uh, this guy, that uh, Houston oil gas guy, you know, 
the, the two people were there on the floor. They bid on it on EnergyNet online, but they were on the floor. They talked to each other, and the, the buyer, the high bidder, walks up to him and says, uh, "We'll offer you my group. We'll offer you six point five million dollars for the asset, and my my offer is good until right now." And he just turned away and started walking through the crowds of Nape. And the guy's like, "Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'll, I'll take it. I accept." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was it was it was a pretty smooth negotiation. I thought. You know what? This past NAPE, actually, I, not this past NAPE, but NAPE ago, we actually got a deal done there. Very similar, right? We, we were kind of negotiating um, on this deal. It was a South Texas uh, well. It wasn't a big deal. It was less than it was less than a million dollars, right? Enough money where it could have been deployed pretty quick. And uh, me and this guy were talking, and our valuations were, you know, on the relative scale of things. We were far away, right? Okay, yeah. I was in the I was in the low four hundreds, and he was in the high eight hundreds, right? right? So that can be a, a a lifetime away on the deal, you know, when the uh, at the relative size of stuff. So we're like, hey, he's uh, he's out of town. He's coming in. We sit down, and Nape just provides that avenue of people to just kind of get together uh, a little bit more casually than you know right. if. Uh, you know, you're kind of at the, at the, in the boardroom table and we had got a deal done. We both yeah. literally just said, and I just, I said, put my hand out there. I said, yeah. I'll meet you in the middle. Yeah. I said, I, you know, six let's yeah. do it. And he was like, man, he was like, he's like, damn it, Chaudhry. I don't want to do it, but all right, let's do it. So <laughs> yeah. we, we got a lot of, I mean, there's, there's ways to kind of get deals done there, but you know what? I, I, I have a question because sure. this always, there's certain people who have it and there's certain people who don't, because I've actually seen this, like, like happen, like in our own company and other organizations where you can cold call a company like Exxon or Total um, and you go and you say, hey, I'm EnergyNet. Uh, and a company like Exxon, even to us, right, we have dealings with, you know, I don't sure. want to say we have dealings with very large companies because we have non-operative working interest in, yep. in, you know, the Permian and all sorts of other areas. So, you know, we have an avenue to have this discussion. But a company like EnergyNet, when you're first starting, how do you get in the door. And I'm sure a lot of people would love to hear this myself included, because I've seen people uh, be really, really good at this. And people just absolutely just, just, I mean, just nosedive. Right. And it just, it, it completely fall on their face. When you go into an Exxon, how do you, first of all, how do you get them to take you seriously? How do you even get through the door? Right. And then once you get through the door, if you go on energy net, anybody that's been on energy net, there's always, there's, there's Chevron. Yep. There's, there's these big boys are, they're marketing there. So right. you've obviously done something right to grab their business as well. It's not just, you don't just get in the door. Right. You've closed those deals oh, and, yeah, yeah. And, and brought them back and forth. Walk me through that process. You know, each one is different, and they're very—I mean, they're they're different and they're difficult. Uh, the, the big guys. We were Chevron's been EnergyNet's largest client uh, in our history. Uh, they've been selling with us assets with us since 2003. We've kind of graduated up from mineral to minerals and royalties to non-operated working interests to you know large operated fields. Uh, we you know closed you know hundred million dollar deals for them in the Central Basin platform, and then Wyoming, and then uh, uh, Central Oklahoma, but. Really, I mean, that, that's, that was one of our big success stories early on, and we would kind of use our relationship with them to make progress with Shell or to make progress with ExxonMobil or to make pro progress with BP or ConocoPhillips and just kind of utilize those success stories. Uh, you know, for, for us getting in the door, uh, it was a lot of kind of triangulation. It was a lot of, you know, uh, 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 you know attempts or, or, or fa failed launches type. You know, we go in there. I used to go into ConocoPhillips office and I would carry around uh, my laptop and, and I would carry around another suitcase that had a, a giant, like a giant projector in there. And I'd go in and give my full like presentation almost every time I saw him. And I was like coming in with two, my big giant computer back then and my big giant uh, projector. And I'd go through all the, you know, all the slide deck and, you know, ask them for their business. Uh, but, you know, they'd say, no, nah, we're not going to do that. 
and then you know do it again, do it again, triangulate among the people that made the decisions. Uh, you know it, what what really stinks or can suck uh, in this business is you make a really good contact, make a really good relationship at one of these large companies. And then they get rotated to offshore. They get rotated yeah. to a different business unit and they don't make the decisions anymore. So uh, with uh, there, there is some uh, institutional kind of knowledge and institutional um, uh, either obstacles, pushback to actually be a client to, 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 to utilize a service like ours. Uh, but then once you're in, you know, you're, you're it, it felt like it's used more and more. Uh, so that, that has helped us. Uh, but we, yeah, we were very fortunate and uh and it was a long time you know a lot of hard work and effort and elbow grease and blood sweat and tears to win some of these you know big big companies uh to utilize our service and now we're you know we're we're really sold for just about you know a to z on publicly traded companies a lot of private equity sponsored companies a lot of private privately held companies like Hillcorp and you know citation and merit and intervest and those guys too sure man i mean so i uh, i'll say this about myself because i've i've been there and i've i really I, I admire the kind of drive that it takes to go in a room, uh, pour your heart out into a presentation, right. right? Over and over and over again, and just get, just get punched in the stomach and right. just be told, you know, sorry. Yeah. You, I just wasted an hour of spilling my heart out and you're just going to tell me, no, how do you, how'd you get past that? Because there's a lot of times that that would happen to me. Like even in deals right now, this just happened to me during COVID. It was July we were uh, uh, we were not the stocking horse bid. We right. we put a bid in. It was going to go to live auction. We all got on Zoom. We were in our conference room. Uh, I was there, and it was like you know I think there was like thirty eight or forty people on the Zoom oh, right. call. Yeah. But you know after a certain point, you, people just started dropping off. Right. Yeah. After a certain point, they just didn't have the appetite to keep going. Right. And um, we started bidding, and it was it was us against one other party, right? right? And I knew the party, and yeah. I knew who it was, and he's a friend. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, a yeah. friend, and uh, um, I saw him, and we would both wait till the last second, and we kept bidding, and I had a cutoff. I had my cutoff. I said once I hit this number, right. I'm not going to keep going, and it was a big number. It yeah, wasn't yeah. Uh, it wasn't like you know a hundred thousand dollars. It was in right, the, yeah, yeah. multi millions, and and I was like I'm not going to go past this number, but as soon as I, uh, I got past the number he would bid and I kept bidding. Right. And we had a few people in the room and they were just like, you, oh, you, so. did, you did ultimately exceed your number that you're, you Oh yeah. I at. was, I was, <laughs> I was, and then we would take a break you're and then tilt I was, terms. I went, I went, I went, I went rogue. I was, <laughs> I, they thought I was a double agent, man. They were just like, Yusuf, what are you doing? And, uh, we just took a break and we were a million dollars higher than our, our, than, than our highest number. And, I, uh, it was a very, very uh, kind of a, because it's, everything's happening so quick at these auctions right. because it's a live auction. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. And I'm sitting there and I'm just talking and I'm like, listen, I think, um, I really like this deal. I'm going to keep going. Right. And, uh, but obviously, you know, cooler heads prevail. And then you start thinking, you're like, is this really the right deal though? Right. I, I, I had a number and I'm already a million dollars ahead of it. Why? Right. Why? And why am I, am I just being emotional at this point? Right. Like what's, what's wrong with me? And, um, you know, uh, I, I was talking to our CFO as well. And he's like, listen, I'll, if you keep going, I'll back it. Right. Like I'm, I'm with you if you right. keep going. And then you're just like, man, shit. Like have now, winner's curse. Or yeah. Now, now, now I'm like, now I really want to think about it because I'm like, I'm, I know we'll cover it if right. we're, if we're going to keep going, but I'm like, do I really want to cover it? And then, um, about two more bids later, I was like, I'm bowing out. Done. And yeah. then that guy took it. And as soon as the auction ended, it, it was a Friday morning. It was a Friday at 10 a.m. I pretty much, I, I think I took my notebook 
and I, I flung it across the, yeah. uh, the conference room because I was so upset. Right. And I, as soon as it ended, I said, Yusuf, I cannot believe you didn't, you didn't keep bidding. Like what, what's wrong with you? Even in, even now, like I look at it, how much production it was for what it, what it was. Right. We were paying like a PB 25 for yeah. it. And I'm just like, I cannot believe I didn't buy that. Like, right. I feel like, I feel like I should be walking around with a dunce hat. Like that's exactly <laughs> well, what I felt. And it gets, it gets very emotional and you know. And how do you deal with that? Like, how did you deal with that? I like when you would go in and you'd be deep pitching to these big guys when, when you're starting out in your early career and you're like, listen, if I can sign a Conoco, right. I'm set, right? Yeah, yeah, Energy yeah. net set, yeah. right? They're my reference now. Right. And uh, when you keep on hearing no and no and no and no, how do you get past it? It, you know, it definitely takes a, a lot of tenacity and, uh, and just, you know, picking yourself up when, when things don't go right. And there were many, there were, you know, definitely 10 plus years, 15 years where you felt like I got, get your head, get my head kicked in trying to, trying to win business. Uh, but uh, I always like, I guess I always think of it kind of, you know, like a game and uh, if, if, if things keep me up at night, you know, uh, but just being, uh, being, Really dialed in, being knowledgeable about the market, being knowledgeable about their the company's assets, things like that, and, and kind of what are you like, uh, what are you willing to do to get the deal? Uh, it's it, like my my space or EnergyNet space in the market, we're we're unique or different from your your perspective because you're buying a deal, or you're selling a deal, and I mean, it's your money on the table. We're trying to facilitate a deal, uh, so sometimes it's it's it's. We're, uh, we, we may have access to more information. Like if I can see all the, all the bids, if I can mm. see 10 bids or 20 bids, and I know what the seller wants, but I know what the seller might really take and just trying to work all those different angles. But like winning the actual divestment business and mandates, I mean, it's a very competitive market. There's a lot of, uh, you know, investment banks that do this, do a very good job at it. A lot of boutique advisory firms, uh, new entrants all the time, kind of tr trying to get like a platform online approach, uh, to the business. There, there's a story that, um, uh, it's a guy from Evercore. I, I, I know him, I, it's, but it's kind of like investment banking lore. Uh, but when, uh, when supposedly when, uh, when Athlon sold to Encana for $7.6 billion, yeah. uh, this, this, this guy at Evercore, this guy at the investment bank, you know, did, knew that Athlon was going to be ringing the bell at the New York stock exchange. I'm probably telling the story wrong. Uh, knew that they were going to be there and, uh, you know, on his own dime, you know, buys a ticket to New York, Flies up there, figures out where they're, you know, where they're staying, figures out where the whole team is going out to dinner that night. And then, you know, he uh, backs up his chair at, you know, eight o'clock at some fancy New York Manhattan restaurant where the Athlon executive team was eating dinner after ringing the bell at the New York Stock Exchange and pulls his chair back up to uh, the CEO and says, hey, I, I may have a buyer for your entire company if you're interested. And they're like, what are you doing here, man? You, you <laughs> followed me all the way to New York <laughs> to try to get a deal done. But I kind of like the tenacity of that. I think it's- oh, I love that, man. That's, that's <laughs> even like, that's just, that's the kind of stuff that like really gets like, as somebody who's buying and selling and uh, on the deal side of stuff, when you hear stories like that, I think you know you're, there's blood still coursing through your veins when you hear that and you're just like, that's the kind of stuff I should be doing. Yeah, that's gonna, the kind of stuff I want to be doing, right? <laughs> right. I want. I'm gonna stake out somebody's, you know, the front of their office. Walk, wait for them to walk in. <laughs> you know what, man? I've heard. I've heard much, much crazier stories. That that's happened to us. Where I was actually at a uh, at, at a charity event, and this young guy just got introduced to me. He's like, "I'm a petroleum engineer. I will literally work for free." I will work for free if I can work uh, if I can work with you guys. And right. I'm just like, why? I'm like, you just got a degree from UT in petroleum engineering. And he's like, yeah, but if I go work somewhere else, uh, I'll make this much money and I won't get any experience. And really, I just care about experience. Yeah. I don't care about money because 
I really, uh, you know, I'm a young guy. I'm single. I don't have any, right. you know, I live with my parents. Yeah. I could care less about money. I want experience. That's great. And he just kept bugging me and we hired him. We <laughs> yeah, literally hired him. And I, I was like, I can't not pay you anything, man. We, <laughs> and we paid him a base salary. And uh, he uh, he actually you know, he's still with the company. He's still, awesome. do, he's still yeah. doing good. And now he's making uh, oh, well over six like figures. That, when you see them and they're hungry and they want to work, I mean, they're the good people to have on your side. Yeah, that, that's, kind of, uh, that's kind of something to be said about that. And kind of speaking about your company, how many people are now uh, on the EnergyNet team? How many employees? Uh, we uh, have, uh, about 45 people business development offices in Houston, Dallas, Midland, Oklahoma City, and Denver. We have about 15 technical people, uh, petroleum engineers, uh, financial analysts, GIS analysts, geotechs, engineering techs. Uh, and then we have uh, you know, our IT uh, developer. They don't like to be called IT. They're, they're, they're our developers. <laughs> they don't just fix our computer. They build the infrastructure sure, for, sure. The, for the, the platform. The developers, uh, uh, we have a government resources team that's about, uh, I believe, about eight people now, and they facilitate Bureau of Land Management lease sales. Okay, okay, it's so like BLM sales, stuff, yeah. GLO. Uh, on that front, we're doing some you know interesting things where we're we're not just doing oil and gas; we're doing other geothermal rights, and, uh, land rights, like raw raw real estate surface rights. Uh, and uh, we've done about thirty-one different commodities for these government agencies that we're working for. Wow, man! So you guys have really—I mean, it sounds like you guys have really, really grown. And I mean, I want to hear from a you know chief chief executive level. How do you manage that many people over so many different offices? And how do you, how does that work? Like, what does your day look like? I, I'm really curious. Like, yeah. are you, are you waking up and are you checking emails? Like it's, it's always something to be, to be said about. I'm like a, I'm like an inbox zero guy. Uh, you know, the, uh, all, probably, you know, you know, I would say hundreds or 200, 250 emails a day. Usually have, I, I spend a lot of, still spend a lot of my time client focused. Uh, I have really great uh, department heads and managers that can, manage their respective teams, whether it's the, the engineering or technical team, the business development team, developer technology team, you know, accounting, things like that, the government resource team. Uh, so I, I really depend on them a lot and delegate a lot of authority. I still, you know, I try to uh, uh, visit and engage with clients and really kind of hands on a lot of the deals that we work, especially the, you know, the higher value deals or new clients kind of onboarding them. Uh, so that, that's what I like to do and that's what I'm good at. Um, the management part, um, I'm probably not as good at. I try to just, like, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I hope that you do the right thing, and then if you don't, uh, I probably, if if I if I could give myself uh, feedback, I would probably say I need to give more feedback to, uh, sure. you know, the, the people that report to me. Uh, I'm kind of like go forth and conquer, whatever we hired you because you're smart and you're yeah. driven. Go do what you do best and use your best judgment. <laughs> yeah, come but, back if something breaks. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a sign of a good. Uh, that's a sign of a good chief executive. If you ask me, that can be introspective, not just be like, "Hey, listen." Uh, I mean, if you think about it, the first thing you're saying is that I, you know, I, I got something better to do because when I asked you, I'm like, Hey, what do you do in your day? And how do you do it? The first place your mind goes is where can I get better? And there's, there's gotta be something there about that. There's gotta be something said about, uh, a, a manager or an owner that can kind of look at their company and that can look at themselves and be like, Hey, listen, I'm only as strong as my weakest link. Right. right. And you find your own weakest link in there. And I mean, there's, there's definitely something to be said about that. And I'm sure people, uh, obviously, you know, you're doing something right because I will say this, 
I'm uh, I'm a Nate party hound because I have to hit like 10 parties a night. <laughs> so it's hard to hit 10 parties yeah, a night, though, right? So every party I ever hit, though, I'll always see somebody with the energy net badge. Yeah, so yeah. you're obviously doing something right with your team well, that they're uh, getting out there. We, we, we do. We, we, we say we work hard, play hard. And uh, I think most of our, our team members would. Yeah, but we're, man, uh, we like to have a good time. And, and the Nate parties, hey, you know, if we can stay out till you know 2 a.m. And, and, and roll into the Nate the next day and, you know, Smelling like booze and, and uh, cigar smoke. And that's see, that's the thing. I think there was a uh, there was a famous story that I think that same engineer he mentioned to me is that he went uh, a bunch of land guys came in and he was uh, he was out till I think two a.m. I think it was actually at about two a.m. And then um, you know all the buddies were kind of getting together, but then he realized that he's like I have actually a breakfast at uh, at the Four Seasons at uh, seven a.m. Yeah. And he's like, I went there and uh, he's like, I literally just went and I just powered through it. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, how, I'm like, first of all, why and how? And then he's just like, man, that's a part of, it's a part of Nape, right? He's like, you, and it's a part of our industry, I right? It's like, it's a part of the oil and gas industry. It's, you know, it's a lot of late industry events. And, you know, I did hear one thing that was like, uh, you know, the purpose, like while all these Zoom meetings and video calls and, Everybody's getting tired of those. It's like business travel will come back. The purpose of business travel is not to, um, you know, not to be more productive or have a better client relationship. It's go to other towns and get drunk with your friends in other towns. (laughs) And and I'm bullish on that. That's going to come back for sure. You know what? I think there's the human interaction part of it, right? Like people need it. I've like this past year and I mean, 2019, we had a record year. We bought, um, you know, we bought some real estate. There's a lot of stuff that people actually don't even know about us on the real estate side. In Q2 of 2019, we were the largest private buyer of real estate in, awesome. in Houston. We beat out Transwestern, yeah. CBRE, Cushman, Wakefield, the biggest companies in the world. We beat them, right? That's, awesome. That's how much real estate we bought. So people don't, we had a fantastic year. We bought uh, Sundance Energy last year. We bought uh, uh, Abraxas Petroleum. Uh, we, we bought so many deals last year. That's awesome. And those are just kind of the larger deals that we kind of did. And then there's a I lot of smaller Sundance deals. Deal. I didn't know you guys bought it. That's great. You know what? At that time, it was kind of a funny, funny story is that we, in our PSA, we put it very clearly that we don't want to be a part of the news releases or the press releases. We want private buyer to be said there. And then by the end of the year, we were talking and I think somebody kind of brought it up in, in one of our meetings that, you know, if you ask 10 people who Atlas operating is seven or eight of them are going to say we've never heard of them. Right. right. Yet we're doing some of the biggest deals on the market. Like, right. you know, the Sundance deal is a perfect example. Every time we tell that to people, they're like, that was you. You bought right. Sundance. Uh, so there's something to be said about kind of that, you know, that human interaction, you kind of go back and now we're like, uh, this year I didn't do any business development. I didn't go to, I wasn't out. I mean, people were scared, right? Right. Uh, I actually just had a son at the beginning of the year. So we were like, yeah, thank you, man. And, and, uh, me and the missus were like, you know, we're going to be really careful. We're obviously, we're doing a lot of the work from home. And then whenever we were kind of coming back into the office, we were doing it in waves. We didn't have a full staff and we were kind of, and we're still kind of working on that right now. So this year was actually really, really terrible for human interaction. And you kind of realize, you know, at the end of 2019, I was like, I'm so tired of going out to a breakfast, a lunch, a dinner, and then coming home and then doing it all over again the next day. And 2020, I mean, this year I was like, this is kind of awesome. I don't have to go do anything. I can do everything via Zoom or, or phone calls and whatnot. And I actually found myself being a little bit more productive. But the human element that you're talking about, I think it has to be had on new deals to, to yeah. actually happen. Like, I don't think that you can get, I can't properly evaluate a deal 
And it sounds so almost uh, archaic because for me to evaluate a deal, I need paper. Yeah. I need to hold something. I need to see the guy in front of me. I need to say, you know, when I, when I give him a, uh, uh, when I tell him that I'm going to pay you $0 for, for puds, <laughs> I want to see if he's going to, I want to see if he's going to be like, yeah, that makes sense on what he's paying for puds right now. Or so I want to hear, over his chair. yeah, or he's like, he's like, oh my gosh, you got to hear about the upside here though, Yusuf. And, uh, um, man, I've, I've looked at deals this year and it's actually kind of funny. This guy was, he was, you know, we looked at the reserve report and everything kind of made sense, but the, uh, the, uh, he actually had a reserve report that was about like, you know, like eight or $9 million, but the, uh, the net income was about like, like $25,000 oh, a month. Yeah. And I'm like, something's not adding up right. here. And he was like, he added some stuff that were, it's actually, it was PDNP and he put it as PDP. Ah, yeah. And I was like, well, why, why is, you know, that doesn't produce, right? right? Like that's, and he's like, he's like, oh no, Yusuf, it's so sure-fired, it's PDP. <laughs> and I'm like, come that's on, man. You, yeah, I'm like, you can't do that. And, uh, but there's, you know, you kind of get to see uh, different kind of uh, strengths and weaknesses of the industry. And I think one of the biggest strengths of the industry is the relationship side of stuff, right? right. To be able to kind of sit there and to, frankly, just to be able to do this, right? Like yeah, sit across from great. you to kind of understand, all right, man, like there's different ways of kind of doing things. Like, like you know, if you sit across from somebody, like the one thing I can notice about it, you're very high energy, right? You, you are a type A personality, like, I would never guess that over the phone, right? I, I know that, you know, you're yeah. a fast right. talker, right. you're intuitive, you're quick, but, you know, just there's that human connection that I think, you know, our industry and frankly, most industries need. Right. And uh, I think there's something to be said about that. And I mean, so you, I, I remember you said you you have kids. Right. Um, how does your, I, I want to know, how does your day-to-day -day look like? Like, what are you... Are you a, you know, a 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. kind of guy? Are you a, are you a eight to five kind of guy? Like, how do you, because I, I've, I found this with a lot of young professionals, right? That, you know, a lot, and a lot of, you know, young professionals that are entrepreneurs, uh, they have ridiculous schedules. And some of them have schedules that are just like, listen, this is when we're on and this is when we're off. So I'm curious I'm kinda, to hear like, that. I, uh, so I have three children. I have twin boys that are, that are uh, 12 and I have a daughter that's nine uh, with, with COVID and even without COVID, uh, in the shutdown, like I have a, a, a great home office set up and uh, my, my wife's at, wife's at home and she can, uh, you know, help with the kids. But, uh, uh, really I have a home office set up, you know, three screens, you know, microphones like this. I can have my Spotify plan. I can be watching Netflix. So my office at, at home is, is kind of a little sanctuary. I can just hang out, chill, you know, work hard. I can, I mean, I, I typically, you know, in the uh, even on a Saturday or Sunday, I'll just sit, you know, in there and, and do work or read or do different things like that. In sure. the week, uh, like meeting with people, uh, this has been a, a difficult year for me just because, like you said, like out in, in 2019 and 2018, 2017, I probably had you know, 65, 70 round trip Southwest Airline flights to Midland or Tulsa sure. or somewhere like that. Yeah. Uh, and it was just on the go all the time. Uh, so it, uh, with the shutdown, it's been nice to be able to kind of reset and be around your family. And, uh, and and do all those things. So that, that, that's great that you you had a son. I think you're really gonna enjoy that. That'll be a, oh man, good I'm, stuff. I'm really really excited about it because uh, you know I got to see it like through my father's eyes, right? Like I grew up in the oil and gas industry. Yeah. Like the first memories I have uh, are with him when he was just a lease hound, right? Yeah, like yeah. he would go out, like kind of like you're saying, 
he would go to to farmers, to to pumpers, to people, and he would just be leasing up grounds or or he would be uh, trying to buy up some production. I mean, that production, he'd be trying to buy like stuff that was like ready for to be P&A'd, right? And he would just take it and, yeah. you know, he would just try to reverse engineer some stuff and he'd make something out of it. And yeah. he just kept rinsing and repeating. So he was working like 20 hour days, 22 hour days. So I kind of look at that and then I kind of see how he kind of, you know, raised me in the industry I love oil and gas. I mean, right. it, I, yeah, it's truly, blood, yeah. it's in my blood. I can't, I can't help it. And then I kind of look at my son now and I'm like, I can see now what, what my dad did with me, right? Like he, he, he projected his love and his work onto yeah. me. And, uh, you know, some people would say that's a good thing. Some people would say it's a bad, so there's days I think it's a bad thing. And there's days I think it's absolutely incredible, but you know, kind of having a young son now, I'm like, you know what? I'm excited for him to kind of see, um, where the world goes with oil and gas, but that's a whole other thing. Actually, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it because you're doing the deal flow. Is, is, is it the end of oil and gas? Is it, are we, are we, it has felt like that this year. I mean, just everything that can be thrown at the industry has been thrown at the industry. I mean, just, uh, you know, thinking that Exxon or Chevron has lost 40% of their value or, I mean, all these, you know, institutional funds saying they're not going to invest in fossil fuels and, BMO cars. just shutting down their offices. And that's what I didn't realize. They're the second largest energy lender in the in the USA. Right. And yeah. they just completely overnight shut down. Yeah, and they're really good people over there. Yeah, yeah and Smart that's the thing. Yeah. yeah, geniuses. I actually just had a guy on yesterday, Yale graduate, Harvard graduate. Uh, the guy is probably one of the, I mean, you just talk to him. You can see just how intelligent he is. And he's like, there needs to be, people need to understand when the second largest energy bank just says, we're done right. and just closes up shop. People need to pay attention, right? There's signs out there that are obviously saying that. And it's not just a, uh, it's not a one-off case, right? That was a 5,000 people that are just immediately laid off. I mean, right. it just starts making you think that are we missing something here? Because when I look at deals, even right now, I think I, 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 I think there's so much opportunity. Yeah, I know. I, I, I tend to agree. I mean, I, I agree the the shale revolution and the shale boom and just the, over time, every, I mean, the investment bankers, the analysts, the companies themselves got too optimistic with, you know, with well spacing, with parent-child relationships, with, you know, these are the best type curves ever. These are the highest EURs yeah. ever. That story was told, you know, to, to maybe sell a, a private company to a public company and they bought into it. And then because they bought into it, they you know, put that information in their investor decks that company's competitor that was in the same basin said, if they're getting a stock price bump, a 10% for, you know, doing this deal or having this, adding this, you know, this inventory, then we need to be able to do the same thing. And it was kind of like, just like it kept going, inching up and up and up. And then just like the math was wrong. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, in some cases, uh, but it was just super frothy with, you know, 500, 600 private equity sponsored companies. I mean, at some stage it was like, like you know, the cast of, of Stranger Things got a you know two hundred million dollar commitment, and they're like, you guys are fifteen years old, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, seriously. Wrong. <laughs> it just seemed like the money was so easy, and like you know, you could buy some leases and flip them in you know a year or eighteen months, and have a billion dollar sale and drill one well. It's like, how is this happening? In retrospect, yeah, it was happening. It was man, it was like you know, it was it's, wild. It, it is wild. I mean. It's in uh, for somebody who sees like you see every basin, right? You guys sell every basin. You sell uh, minerals, royalties, yeah. PDP, non non producing, producing uh, upside stuff. What's your you know? It's I know it's uh, it's 
hard to pick, you know, your favorite kid, but what's your favorite basin? And what actually not only your favorite basin or what's your favorite thing to sell and what sells the most and what is the what's the the, the hot topic that everybody uh, wants to be a part of or will overbid for or you'll see the highest bids? You know, uh, probably. I don't know. I really like I mean, I'll probably get trashed somewhere for this, but I really like assets in East Texas. I really like assets in uh, Wyoming. Powder River Basin. I know they're not uh, maybe as, as as high flying as some other areas. Uh, the assets that sell really well uh, tend to be are now really historically have always been kind of legacy Permian assets. They're also legacy assets, and what I mean legacy, I mean the big water floods, big CO two floods. You know the the Joe Mill Field, the Yates Field. These like you know fields that have been around forever. Uh, you know. For EnergyNet and my role, uh, my time with in the A&D space with EnergyNet, you know, it was I, I was there when oh man, you know, Wise County and the Barnett's the hottest thing, you know, oh the my gosh, thing I remember and just, that, and got to see you know that bubble up and got to see you know the uh, the, uh, the the Haynesville bubble up. We we had a deal, I believe it was I'm gonna, I may get my year wrong, but it was like November of 2006 or November of 2007. But we had a deal. We thought it was gonna sell for two. $2 million. That was the seller's asking price or reserve price. Uh, and it sold for like $11 million. And the high, the high bidder was Chesapeake. The second highest bidder was Petrohawk. And it turned wow. out that it was like right in the middle of the Terryville field, like before. And then like uh, um, two months later, Chesapeake's like, we've went out, we've discovered a new place called oh Haynesville God, Shale. Yeah. We had no, I man, we were, we didn't know why it sold for that much and why those two companies bid it up so much. But <laughs> Yeah, no, that's happened. I mean, uh, you, you kind of mentioned the Barnett and the, uh, in kind of Wise County. Exact same thing happened to us. We got approached by a, um, a another operator and they were just like, hey, listen, we want to do a joint venture with you guys and we want to do it like this. I want to do this. And they drilled these wells and they were they were amazing. I mean, we were even now, even now they still make money because they're gassy right. wells, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, and I'm just like, man, you know, I would have never have thought this because they came in and they were paying, they were paying absorbent bonuses, right? right? And we're just like, you know, whenever anybody does that and whenever our first thing is, is that what are we missing here? Yeah. Something's obviously yeah. happening or happening around us. And then actually Conoco, um, that same field, Conoco offered us um, a very, very large sum of money. Just one. They just they're like, we'll write a check right, right. now if we just buy you guys out. And uh, we had royalties and yeah. other stuff there. And we're just like, no, that's not we're not doing that. And then as soon as you know, I think as soon as that happened, I remember that as soon as we got that offer from Conoco, we immediately had a meeting with our geologist and we're just like, what's going on here? What are we missing? Right. What's what what the hell's happening in this in this field, in this area? So there's all these kind of plays that we kind of see. And I mean, us recently, we just got super, you know, kind of sucked into the to the South Texas Eagle Fur type area. And now I'm very, very much um, I'm a believer that the Austin chalk is uh, is the way to go. And I also am a believer in the Permian. I really, really like Sprayberry Wells. Yeah, I'm yeah. not a Wolf Camp guy. I think Wolf Camp Wells are are dumb. Right. Uh, a lot of people Spray tell Berry me Sprayberry is tried and true, man. And that's the thing, right? Like a Wolf Camp well, you can get an IP of a thousand barrels a day, but uh, it's going to be down to two hundred within six months. Right. Right. You get a Sprayberry well, you're going to get five hundred barrels a day, and right. it's going to be at, at four hundred barrels a day that's in a year. Yeah. So uh, it's just that long steady decline, and you know, it, it's it's interesting that you kind of uh, you know uh, you kind of mentioned the the Wyoming area. Um, do you think that the the Powder River uh, Powder River I can't say it Powder, Powder River Basin. Basin yeah do you think that um 
do you think some of these fields are dead? Do you think that they're just like uh, some of these basins are, are just not going to come back? Because I think about it when I think of that, I think of the Utica. Right. And I'm just like, how is that going to come back? Right. I, I just don't see it happening. I think these these big shale plays, uh, I think they've just been punched in the stomach so hard this year. I think that the inventory is drilled up and oh my goodness. less and less inventory. And if, you, if I were a company, I'd drill my best locations first. And even just the, the, the difficulty of being, the, the stresses of being a public company, like we got to make our numbers, you know, drill this one right in the sweet spot so we can check, you know, choose production. Or, I mean, you just, I mean, there, at one point, I guess there was some delineation more so, but, uh, but it just uh, very much a treadmill. The, the high decline rates of the shale wells, just a huge treadmill and a you know big capital allocation uh, that just you know you got to keep spending, you got to yeah. keep spending, you got to keep spending. It's <laughs> in this downturn and this this low oil price, it's been very difficult. I mean, many oil and gas executives, especially at public companies, who've been around, been doing this for thirty years, forty years. I mean, that's it's it's ingrained in them to grow production, grow reserves. You know? Yeah, and and many of them were not. I mean, I mean, trying to stay within cash flow is very difficult. Ask me, especially a, a growing one. Yeah, I've noticed just as ourself, right, as our company is that we've grown exponentially over the past three or four years. And uh, the hardest thing I think for us to do, or actually it was the easiest thing, I shouldn't call it the hardest thing, is that we actually immediately this year, the one of the biggest, uh, you know, it's for us, we're a semi-large private company right. and, uh, you know, we're, we're, you know, we fly under the radar, but it's not like turning a cruise ship. So when April happened, when it went down to negative 37, we just decided that we're going to shut in. I think we shut in about 90% of our fields. Yeah. Uh, and we were just like, we have to cut down GNA immediately. And for us, that's not as difficult to do as it is for a, right. a an Oxy and EAG, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a Chevron uh, Conoco. Um, so I think it's just about being nimble, really. I think it is. Yeah. It's it's the people who are nimble or and that are going to remain nimble. I think they're going to survive and they're not going to survive. I think they're going to thrive out of this. And I think. The big boys that have had, that I think there's going to be some uh, I think there's going to be some pretty tough announcements kind of coming up with some of the financial or, or institutional money that I think a lot of this debt is going to be unserviceable. Yeah, uh, no, I, I tend to agree with that. And what you're saying, you know, is the you know, along those same lines of survivors and you know, is the industry going to be here for us? You know, is it going is it going to go away? Uh, I mean, obviously, a lot of companies took on way too much debt with too high of assumptions on their production or what they could do to pay it, pay it back. Uh, kind of that still that, that growth mindset, but uh, a lot of the buyers that we've dealt with in 2020, uh, you know, and the, the, the larger asset sales that we've done through our sealed bid processes, you know, some of them have had 20 bidders, 30 bidders, you know, a, a lot of competition for the assets and they've sold for good prices, uh, you know, premium prices, all things considered at the current strip. Um, but in their mind, I think they're saying like, this is my 1986 moment. I want to be buying. I want to look yeah. back in from you know, 2025 or 2030 or 2035 and say, I was buying assets in 2020. And that's why I'm, you know, have this giant empire now. Yeah. And with the, with the prices, I mean, it, everybody says it's cyclical boom and bust. I mean, this time feels different. It feels structurally different, but just the, with the capital not being as readily available as what was the oil and gas industry. I mean, that's a big change from any other real cycle. Um, you know, I think there's, I, mean, I, I hope, I mean, in the technology of horizontal wells and, and fracking, hydro, you know, all those things, uh, there, there needs to be something on the on the finance side to, to bring money back to the space. Uh, but if that doesn't happen, uh, or it doesn't happen, in, in, I mean, I, I think there supply coming, uh, supply and demand. Will, I mean, demand will come back, and I think that you have a, you, have, you know, especially for 
WTI prices, you have a, a, a big chance that it kind of elastic kind of bounces back up quickly. I think faster so, Faster than people would expect. And I think a lot of companies like yourself and, and others, uh, you know, private companies I mean, kind of have that mindset that there's a lot of opportunity and if you can survive, if you can, you know, you know get through this tough part, there's a ton of opportunity for you. Yeah, no, I think, I think a lot of companies are doing that. And I think a lot of companies aren't doing that. I think people are just going to kind of fall flat on their face and I'm seeing it. Uh, and I'm sure you're seeing it as well. Like people who, um, probably even in the bid process, people are probably taking, uh, you know, maybe not, you know, if they needed a million dollars, they're taking 800,000 right now. Right. Yeah. Because they needed to, they just need money and they need to get out. Right. I've noticed that, uh, across the board, but, um, I think our industry is going to be around for a long time to come and I'm excited to kind of see the future, man. Um, I, uh, I really, really, truly enjoyed having you on Chris. Yeah, no, I thanks think for having me. This I, has been fun. This has been so much fun to kind of hear from your perspective as well. Um, I, uh, if anybody wants to obviously, uh, you know, get a hold of Chris, he's got a whole team of business development people, but, uh, you can go check out energy net. Is there any other places that, uh, you guys are on? A- yeah, no, uh, feel free to call me, email me, uh, go to the energy net site, register as a bidder, uh, buy your, uh, your friends and family and, some, some royalties or rides, <laughs> minerals, non-producing leasehold for Christmas. Yeah, that's it, baby. <laughs> that's a great stocking stuffer. You have some, <laughs> have some nice royalties in the, the Delaware Basin. <laughs> uh, but no, man, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, and uh, yeah, man, we're going to yeah, have to do I, it again. Thanks for having me. It's been awesome. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, buddy.